Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, and welcome to the latest Metro.co.uk. I don't think we've really been introducing each other every week, which is probably quite poor form, but here is James Gray from the I. Oh, you just... don't need to introduce me, George. I've met you many times. <laughs> I was just saying, I feel like in the last few weeks, we've not been saying who we are and where we're from. And I just didn't want people to get confused. So James was just ranting to me that people keep thinking he's from the independent, but he's from the I and they are separate entities. Don't even so... say the word. If you say the word, people will remember it. I work for <laughs> I, I newspaper and I news.co.uk. Um, and it's very much not any other newspaper or part of any other company. Well, it sort of is, but that's complicated. Uh, world's worst piece of branding, but no. I mean, equally, George, you know, you work for Metro, not the Metro. Yeah, Metro, it's confusing. Which, all, But are they not co-branded as well? Well, so, I mean, th- this is quite long and boring chat, but they, they, <laughs> they, the lines just are continually blurred. I don't, I don't know if you saw today, but they've um, relaunched Rush Hour Crush online. So before right. that was just in the paper because the paper and the online had split acrimoniously or whatever. Um, but there, there's been some kind of remerging a little bit during wow. pandemic time. So so rush hour crushes online, which was the only thing I liked about the paper, which I probably shouldn't say, but but when I was younger, <laughs> that is that was the main thing I liked. Um, but someone like who's not from know. a paper is Calvin, who's a tennis coach. Hello, Calvin. Calvin's you're like here. A proper human. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, James. So what I'd like to there. know, George, on, on the subject of Rush Hour Crush, which if yeah. people who maybe aren't familiar with it because they don't live in the UK or because they haven't noticed it or never known the name of it, it's that column in the newspaper where if you see someone on the tube, you can write a creepy text message and put it in the paper and say, Hi, girl who always wears a red coat. I'm that bald bloke who always smiles at you. I wonder if we might go for a drink sometime. It, it is without a doubt the single creepiest way to approach someone. I, I've got a story about this, and it's someone you know. Okay. Someone from Louis Seeley from Metro, cricket Louis writer. Seeley, cricket reporter he has been the person who was written about in the text. No. So he claims. So he claims. I can't remember the exact story, but it was an outfit he was wearing that day at a station he was going to. Uh, our guest on the pod next week is Luke yeah. Seeley. <laughs> He'll be <laughs> delighted I've brought this up. I'll send that him the link. He'll be... uh, that's terrific. Is. Louis Seeley and I communicate exclusively through the, mean, the um, medium of Monty Panasar tweets. We just send each other <laughs> tweets from Monty Panasar. Don't even really have conversations. Anyway, we've, uh, we've been sidetracked inside the first minute. Um, as George has already very adeptly said, he's George Belzor from Metro. He's Calvin Besson from Betting on Things. No, I, I, there is definitely a pun to be had in this name, and I can't get it yet. Um, and I'm James Gray from iNewspaper and iNews.co.uk. This is Love Tennis Podcast, of course. If you're listening live, you're already here on Locker Room. If you're not listening on the podcast, you can download Locker Room app from the App Store, um, and you can listen to us live every 9 p.m. 9 on Monday nights. Um, and you can get involved as well if you have any questions or any comments in the discussion 
uh, section of the app, then please do uh, leave the message and we'll try and remember to read it at some point. Um, first on our docket, George, George is the man in charge of the docket. He sends around a lovely list every week where he just plugs his own work, basically. Um, <laughs> first, why not? Why not? If you're not going to plug your own work, no one else will. First on the docket is our uh, Australian Open qualifying, which got underway on Sunday, of course. But it's kind of an unusual situation because usually on a Monday, we're able to kind of some tournaments up, but because of the way it is this year, it's Sunday through Wednesday, um, so we're kind of in the middle of it, but we're basically at the end of it from a British perspective, because all, all of the British players have lost. Well, no, that's not quite true. All bar Francesca Jones. Um, George, I know you were quite impressed with that result, Fran Jones getting through the first round of qualifying. I was. I, I'll be perfectly honest, I didn't watch it, um, so I, I can't speak to you in great depth about how well the match was, but uh, what I would say is that Nicolescu is someone I have watched a lot before because she's been a regular in slam main draws. Um, and when I looked at everyone's draw in qualifying, I saw um, Franz and thought, no way she's going through there. That's a really tough draw for qualifying. Um, I know oh, sorry, Nicolescu's more of a clay court player normally, but um, she is someone I'd expect to be in main draws. So to beat her, was it two and three or three and two? I can't remember which way around. Yeah. But yeah. dropping five games against someone who, in your first appearance in qualifying, I think that's probably not Wimbledon. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a really, really good, solid effort. Um, I, I can't say I know masses about her. I was kind of hoping Calvin would have more of an insight being our man on the inside in the lower echelons of British tennis. <laughs> Calling it the lower echelons, George, is not a complimentary way to... <laughs> Calvin, the man on the inside of the real arse end of tennis. Um... <laughs> it's always, it always cracks me up when, when people talk about the future circuit on the TV and that they really do make it out like it's like a load of beginners. <laughs> the name doesn't help, does it? Futures, yeah, yeah but... It's... but... But like, especially when like it comes around to Wimbledon, and the, and you know it can't be expressed that there's literally the difference between someone sort of ranked, I don't know, twelve hundred in the world, and someone ranked ninety in the world is probably less than ten percent. And mm. but but the way that they talk about it is genuinely like it, it's somebody who's just picked up a racket <laughs> these tours, and and it frustrates me, and I know it winds the players up as well. Well, I don't think Fran Jones will be getting that treatment uh, at the moment, having having beaten, as you rightly say, George Monica Nicolescu, a decent win, number 28 seed in qualifying. I know that doesn't mean much, but, you know, it says a bit about where she is ranked in the world. She's been in the top 30, all right, a long time ago, but, um, you know, she has been at a pretty high level of tennis. Um, Calvin Fran, I'll tell you exactly how much I know about her. I know she's from Leeds and she's 20, so she has one thing in common with me, um, and I'll let people guess which one it is. Um, <laughs> It's radio, so people don't know what I look like. Uh, Calvin, can you, can you tell us a little more about her? There are so many promising young British women kicking around at the moment that it's hard to keep track of who's who. Fran is another name of someone starting to make waves. Yeah, I know Fran pretty well, actually. She's actually from Bradford, not Leeds. Oh, I um, beg your pardon. Yeah. Um, there we go. So you have nothing in common with her. <laughs> um, wow. wow. <laughs> um... She actually, I've known her for years. She used to be coached by one of my best mates, actually, um, until she went to live in Spain. Um, she was coached in Bradford, and she's still pretty close with her now. He spent the last summer doing a fair bit of hitting with her um, down in Surrey, um, as he lives in London now. He's out of mm. tennis, but he still hits a lot of balls. Um, so, yeah, she's, she's very, for people who haven't seen her, she's extremely competitive. She's an animal. Um, on the court, sort of unlike, I'd say, any other British female that I know. Um, she's very sort of aggressive in her personality and her character. Um, she has, I don't know how many people know, but she has a disability. She was born with a condition that left her with three fingers uh, and a thumb. And I, I was think... Go on, she's sorry, got James. three fingers and a thumb on both hands, I think I'm yeah, right to say. Yeah, that's um, right. She was born, it's a condition called... Ectrodactyly, ectodermal dysplasia. Um, yeah. well, I'm sure, no, I'm pretty sure no one will be familiar with it. But rolls off the tongue. Was, yeah, I think she was pretty much told growing up that that she wasn't like te tennis was not going to be for her realistically. But maybe that's where she gets some of that fighter attitude, Calvin. Yeah, she's um, she's a very very sort of confident person as well. Um, she's from her parents are. Uh, 
are very wealthy people. Um, she's from a very sort of wealthy background. She spent a lot of her time training in Spain um, and likes and, and sort of is quite open that she trains outside of the sort of British tennis bubble, if you will, um, bubble in a sort of more general word, not the one that we've been using it a lot in in recent times. <laughs> yeah, pre, pre-COVID bubble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, although she does spend quite a lot of time at the NTC as well. That's where I mainly see her uh, these days. Um, yeah. She has, has a Spanish coach. Um, and yeah, you know, she, she continues to sort of surpass where the level that a lot of experts thought that she would get to as her maximum level. And this mm. being another one today. Yeah, I mean, I know it's only first round of qualifying, so and you know, by the time you listen to this podcast, she may already have lost one in love. So let's not get too excited. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it, it's a stepping stone, isn't it? I think I saw the LTA tweeting. I know you're a big fan of the LTA tweets, Calvin. Um, I saw them tweeting it her first, her first overseas qualifying, and also, you know, this is a pretty unique experience for anyone. What again, people may f- be forgetting. This is Australian Open qualifying. Three weeks before the Australian Open, and not in Australia. The women's tournament, I think, I'm saying, is in Qatar, in Doha. Um, it, it's presumed, I can't remember if there are any fans in. I think there might be a few in, but realistically, it's the Middle East. Even on a good day, you wouldn't get that many in. Um, yeah. So it's going to be pretty unusual, never mind your first overseas qualifying tournament. Yeah, to a degree, but what I, the thing is with Fran as well is that she's very well travelled. That that sort of thing won't be an issue for her, especially. And I think she is 20. She might be 21. She's a year 2000 birthday, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, so that sort of thing won't phase her. And I always think that, given it's a high, in theory, it's a high level of tournament, but I'm not sure how much of that will come through, being that it's not at the actual tournament venue. Um, she will definitely have spent time in the Middle East playing in sort of pretty much most countries around the world she she very rarely plays tournaments in britain um mm. most of her ranking points have been gained abroad i, I was just gonna say this is slightly off topic but just the fact that these qualifying is a in a different location but b a month kind of in that in advance of the australian open are, are we expecting qualifiers to really really struggle in the first round this year given they're going to have completely lost this momentum and have won on a different court um, I guess that it, it would take away some of the the benefit that qualifiers normally have in that they come in hot, they've just won the matches, and they're ready to go. Um, I wouldn't think that it would necessarily make them struggle anymore because it's a very strong qualifying tournament as well, as I think as we discussed last week. So yeah. a lot of the guys are going to have not missed on main draw by too much either. The one thing I think may play it, a, quite a big factor is that the courts in Abu Dhabi are extremely slow, very mm. slow. And I know that Australia are quite slow, but it's it's a completely different surface from. Well, it's not completely different, but it, it it's a fairly different surface from what they're going in on. So, the players who qualify, for example, you may get a few qualifiers who've qualified on the premise of the courts being that slow, who yes. then can't translate that to the slightly quicker courts when they're in there. Mm. Um, Fran incidentally plays Jana Fett in the next round um, from Croatia. It's a tough draw as well. You, you look like you know something about Jana Fett. No, no, I'm just saying that that's a name you see on the tour. I mean, that's mm. not, you know, when you look at the qualifying list, if I'm recognising the names in there, it's generally because they're playing at higher level tournaments that I'm looking mm. at every week. And so to be playing Nicolescu, I saw that and I said, that's a really, really difficult draw because that's someone I'm used to seeing yes. in big matches at slams and that you know i'm not i don't think yana fett's quite as regularly there as nicolesco i wouldn't have thought she'd been that no. high up um but that's another name i've seen i think around a lot i think she has dropped quite a bit though she was at yana fett was at the tournaments i was at in portugal um last autumn uh and given she looked a level above everyone else at those tournaments but i think she was there on because her ranking has dropped um, so, yeah, she's a, she's a junior a junior finalist at the Australian Open six years ago. Interestingly, um, but yeah, I would think on on current ranking though, James would would that be a I don't know what Fett's ranking is. Would that be a fifty fifty tie? Maybe I'm just trying to look. Um, I mean, on the grounds that she has won main draw matches at you know um, 
at Grand yeah. Slams. No, you'd, you'd say Fran is the underdog, yeah. but Jana's 204 in the world. Um, oh, right, she's gone up quite a bit then, yeah. yeah. You know, so, and then Fran is 232 and, and is beating, I think she's now beaten yeah. maybe five or six players in the top 200 in her career. So, right, okay. Yeah, why, why, why not, I would suggest. And uh, I think we're all rooting for her because, as I say, she is the only Brit uh, left in the draw. Um, Nithika Baines uh, lost. Harriet Dart also lost, quite disappointingly, in straight sets to Grace Mean. Um, and then uh, Jay Clark and Liam Brody. Calvin, I know you, I don't know how much you caught the Liam Brody match, but um, <laughs> I, I said in the WhatsApp group, was it bad? And you replied, it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. Um, I watched most of it, yeah. I'm, I actually missed the first, um, I saw the first game and then I missed the next four where Liam lost all four of those. Then I tuned in again. Oh. And he won the next three. Um, right. It looked very windy. Um, and I thought if you were watching the match at sort of between four all and six all, there only looked to be one winner. And that was Liam. He was the best player by, well, f- from before that, really, from four one down up to six all. Yeah. Um, N really didn't look like he had much in the tank. And he looked like he would quite happily have got out of that match pretty soonish if Liam had opened the door. I think Broads will be a bit disappointed um, that he didn't come through that one um, in the end. And he struggled a bit in the second set. Um, and as, as we said um, in the WhatsApp group, Lestien was about as French a player as you could ever come across um, in the first game. In the first game, he did three drop shots, a double fall and argued with the umpire. Um, <laughs> he also celebrated winning the first set by immediately arguing with the umpire again. Um, so, so yeah. One side. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say this was a particularly tough draw on paper for any of the Brits, but just looking through the men's qualifying list, I mean, it, it's again pretty strong group of players kicking around, isn't it? I mean, you've got yeah. Gulbis mm. in there, you've got Lorenzi, Delian, uh, Zumha, who's been up near probably top thirty Zumha back in the day. Yeah, you know, yeah. some good, some Absolutely. good players. Just kicking around and qualifying this year. Yeah, I didn't want to attempt to pronounce that. I hate pronouncing that name. (laughs) He's a good player to watch. You know, he's someone that you. I always see him like, especially at Wimbledon, because he tends to be in the main draw there. And on the first or second day, you're always looking for an interesting match on the outside court, and he often is the one. Calvin. Yeah, it's probably the toughest qualifying that. I can remember in a slam just in terms of rankings um, mm. and you'd know purely on that basis because we sort of been following it just as in our WhatsApp group been following the sort of the, the, the list and what the cut is and you'd normally expect a whole lot more players to have withdrawn than actually did withdraw and you'd expect a few more to drop in from the sort of somewhere between sort of two, 300 and 250 you'd think a few more would drop in and it just never happened the drop off mm. never came um, mm. And I don't know whether that is players more desperate. Well, it's a it's a different time, isn't it altogether? But you know, there might be a financial element. Players just not wanting to give up that um, chance to earn, earn a, f- a few bucks, really. Well, also, I, I think I'm that. right. In sa- I think I'm right in saying that first round losers in the Australian Open this year. I think it's fifty seven thousand pounds. I think I've got that right, which is higher than it ever has been before. Presumably to mitigate for the fact that you've got to go and hang around there for three weeks. And I know you're getting your hotel paid for and the flights paid for and the rest of it. But presumably that's the idea is that they didn't want too many people doing a Federer and deciding that it wasn't worth the effort. So, you know, you could win three matches in qualifying against guys outside the top 150 and win 57 grand, which I think probably in terms of pounds per hour is the one of the better opportunities at that level of tennis. So unless my maths is way off yeah it's a a huge amount of money um and that is the way that those guys look at it those you know as we as we've said before that basically if you can make the first round of the slams for those guys ranked sort of somewhere between anywhere between sort of 200 and 100 you make the first round of of three or four of the slams that covers you more than covers you for the next year of tennis and then Mm. anything else you get is a free hit and then more so now it's just yeah. a strange atmosphere, though, as well. I think it's, you know, it's, I don't think it's wise to judge anybody on on how they're playing in these tournaments, just because it's it's a sort of, you know, 
players, these players are sort of sociable characters. They want to get out. They want to practice. They want to blend in. There's crowds there usually, and it's just so strange at the minute. They're they're locked in rooms, almost mm. like sort of caged animals, really. And they come out, <laughs> and you just never know what you're going to get when when it when it comes to the match court. And I think Liam's uh, match today sort of summed that up. It was so bizarre, the sort of peaks and troughs of the match, and it was blowing a gale as well. Mm. It was difficult to sort of judge, you know, because Liam has been playing pretty pretty good tennis for the last sort of uh, since summer. Really, he's been playing some pretty good ball, and I think that was a bit of an anomaly, really, that much. Mm. Um, away from the Middle East, but sticking with British tennis, um, George and I were both kind of working on a story on Saturday, which you will have seen if you've uh, been on Metro or I website, um, which was. I mean, to call it a COVID scare sounds like uh, an exaggeration. Like when I wrote down those words, I felt like it was a bit of an exaggeration. But actually, it wasn't. Um, we found out there had been a positive COVID test at the National Tennis Centre, which is where all of the British players are based at the moment, including Andy Murray, Dan Evans, Joe Salisbury, people with plans to fly out to Australia. Um, so as soon as we heard that news, I thought, well, one positive test who is it and, and, you know, what's the problem? You know, if it's one of the players going to Australia, that's a problem. And then have they been anywhere near anyone who is going to Australia? Because that would automatically trigger 10 days in isolation. Um, and, and then you, how do you get to Australia? Are you allowed in Australia? Is your quarantine right? Um, and, and all sorts of complications that you don't need before a Grand Slam. Um, we know that it wasn't um, any of the players going to Australia. We, obviously, it's a medical record. We're not really supposed to talk about exactly who it was and it's not that important who it was really um but george the important point really is that these these players can still go to australia without any, any worries at the moment anyway yeah definitely i mean when you start talking to people it was a very fast moving situation and a lot of people it's one of those stories that you started messaging a few people and they didn't know about it and that, Which that I have kind to of say, we were talking about media earlier it's one of the most satisfying things to do when you, well, I mean, if you're right and you know you're right, if you message a source and go, have you heard about this? And they go, well, no, I haven't, because it means you're there before they are. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It, it was it's a it was a tremendously fast moving situation, wasn't it? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people who were in the parties who would be looking to go to Australia were a bit like, we're pretty certain this doesn't affect us, but can't, you know, speak beyond that. I mean, as it turned out, protocols were followed pretty well there are people isolating there um i believe more people who are based there rather than you know the bigger players who kind of come and go from the national tennis center um but yeah i mean it, it i suppose the positive spin of this story is it shows the protocols are working well enough that people are keeping apart and you know particularly for those guys going to australia that they've been disciplined enough not to be mixing in too much um, mm. you know with the lads at the centre or whatever as it may be but yeah it's, it's, it's good news I suppose in the end yeah um, not such good news for Carl Edmund who, who is out of the Australian Open I mean I, I don't suppose surprise is the right word but he, he obviously didn't play Battle of the Brits he's had this knee problem um, for an amount of time I mean, do we know anything more George about like exactly what it is or, or how serious it might be I'm, I, he's not played I mean he might have been better off not playing second half of last year because he lost five in a row or something, but he's not played, he's not won a match since first round of the US Open in August. Yeah, um, one of my colleagues, or our colleagues, uh, Simon Briggs, did a pretty good piece actually uh, on the knee. Um, mm. I think the main takeaway from it was that they'd been to specialists and stuff to look into the possibility of an operation. Um, and we're told there's nothing to operate on, which is the really? strange thing. Um, so I don't really know where that needs you. I mean, I, I'm not going to compare Kyle Edmund to my mum, but you know, my mum, <laughs> my mum always moans about knee pain and Massive has been moaning about it for years. Yeah. And she'd go to see people and they'd tell her there's nothing wrong with you. And it, it is one of these things, knees, that people do just get knee pain and maybe there's nothing structurally wrong with something's slightly, I don't know, it's not necessarily I've, operationable, but I've had a doctor. Happen. I've had a doctor say to me when I've said, oh, my knees hurt, and he's gone, yeah, that's kind of what knees do. Like, uh, and, and, you know, it's partly because I'm a bit overweight, so you're putting too much and, and, like, still do a lot of exercise, so you're putting too much through your knees anyway. But there is an element, and especially 
when you're a professional athlete, and especially with tennis, tennis players, as far as I understand it, are basically always part a little bit injured. And there's always something that's hurting. Um, and certainly if you ask them, if, you know, candidly, there will always be something they'll say is hurting. So I'm not surprised, but it does worry me slightly if, you know, if it's something that I would think of someone like Daniel Sturridge, and I'm not drawing comparisons between Daniel Sturridge and, Dan- and Carl Edmund, but something that managers always said about Daniel Sturridge, Liverpool striker and many other clubs, um, was that he kind of didn't know where the pain threshold was. So he would just say, if anything hurt, he'd be like, well, I think I might be injured here, I'm not playing. And that some managers would be like, I think you need to learn what is acceptable pain and what is dangerous pain. And I, I just wonder whether, you know, I mean, whether Kyle needs to learn that. I mean, I'm massively speculating to an extent, but, you know, it must happen with players, Calvin, that there are things that they need to learn just hurt sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't know if that's the case with Kyle at all. I suspect not. He's a pretty robust character uh, yeah. and always has been. Uh, but absolutely, it does happen. Um, and there's also, you know, it's the, there is actually a psychological condition that I know professionals have suffered from before where almost the injuries start taking over your mind and you convince yourself that you are injured. Um, and again, not for a second am I suggesting this with Kyle. It's it's not that. I'm sort of, sort of more broadly about people, players who are regularly injured, that can be the case. And it's been found, it is a sort of clinical condition where, and it's not like they're faking it, they genuinely think they are injured. Um, mm. And they sort of, their mind creates a pain that isn't there. But I think, Kyle, I think more, it's more sort of a, um, it's more a sort of a niggle, really. That mm. they they haven't been able to get the bottom of. I, I know Kyle's coach pretty well, Beecher. I haven't really spoke to him much about it. He told me a few weeks ago that it was touch and go for the Aussie Open, and you know, sort of for pri- privacy reasons, I, I don't like to sort of press on it. So I don't know mm. what um, I don't know what the actual situation is, but I know he'll, he'll have a pretty good team around him. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd say this is something that's been a problem for quite a long time now. Um, and I think the point they've got to from what you kind of hear from the situation is that, you know, it, it's reached that frustrating point where it's like, we need to find out what this long-term solution is because yeah. he, he had a good, he got a good little burst of form kind of crossing between 2019 and 2020 yeah. where he looked like he kind of turned a corner and then he finished last season. So flat, um, with a bad run of results, which, you know, you can't say a hundred percent was due to the knee, but when you're then seeing a guy in the off season, really struggling with a knee and not making it to Australia, you start to think, okay, how much of an impact was that having? Um, and, and Conta's a good example as well of this at the minute, you know, Conta's had a knee problem that's been plaguing her for about a year and a half and your form does get affected by it. And it, it is a very, very difficult thing to kind of, balance how much should you be playing going out earning money keeping your ranking up and actually fixing your body and i suspect the point's going to come with kyle where he thinks right i'm going to sort this out while i can and then hopefully get a bit longer going with it um yeah just one thing i will say on form i always think that that sort of being ranked between sort of 70 and 30 in the world is the toughest ranking to be at and to get any form going because you're pretty much, you can't play in the challenges. Your ranking's too high to be playing challenges. So you're not going to play those to get some wins under the belt and you're not going to get seeded at the sort of two fifties, 500. So every single week, either in the first or the second round, you're going to play one of the top 20 players in the world. And so (laughs) trying to get any sort of run of form going at that ranking is tough. Um, And even if you're playing well, you know, you might hit a, a bit of a, you know, you might play well in the first round, get a win, and then you find you're up against like Zverev or or team in the second round, and you know, and then you might play well but lose that, and then the second week again. And I just think it, it is tough at that ranking, sort of between any lower you can drop down and play a little bit of challenger, that kind of thing, and any higher you're getting seeded, so you're not getting that. But that's where you know it's worth saying. To to play devil's advocate having looked at Kyle's form and who he played and lost to at the end of last season. <laughs> yeah. Marco yeah. Tecinato, who we know, you know, he has had his moments to be fair, but yeah, his moments haven't been for a while. Lloyd Harris, 
well done yeah, on 92 not... South Africa. Lloyd Harris actually did have quite a good end to 2020, as I remember. I think he might want a title. Nishioka, yeah. who he was bageled by in the second set of a straight yeah. set loss. Yeah, that was bad. And worst of all, first round of qualifying into Vienna, 127 Jason Jung from, I think, Taipei. So, yeah. I can't say I know, you know about Jason Young, although I do remember Carl losing to him. I, so. I know from writing this story that he is now ranked lower than he was then. So it's not right. like he flew into form either. So yeah. that that's my <laughs> devil's advocate for Kyle. It was just it was more me making a sort of, it was more a general comment. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you've unfortunately yeah you've picked a bad moment to make the point, Calvin. It's a good yeah. one, but just uh, but it is true. Time. It is true. It is true. <laughs> Well, also, you know, you have to be clever about the tournaments you play in. And one person who is in that sort of uh, twilight zone of rankings is Cam Norrie. And, you know, he's he's out at Delray Beach this week. He's won a couple of matches. He's beaten JC Aragone and Adrian Manorino. So he's into the last 16... Oh, quarterfinals. Quarterfinals. Yeah, he's got um, Big Foe, Francis TFO in the quarterfinals. Who, do you know who Francis TFO beat in the first round of that tournament? Last Should I? Donald Young. Yeah. I saw he was in qualifying. Yeah, yeah, he qualified, qualified and then got a bit of a water of a draw. But, uh, yeah, good luck, Cam. I mean, he's obviously going to be in the main draw in Australia. Um, obviously, quite a lot of people. I mean, that draw is almost exclusively US, or, or Western Hemisphere at least. Um, so, obviously, there's not many people have chosen to go over there. But he's found somewhere to get some, some match practice. I'd be interested, George. I don't know. This is going to be a niche question for you. Do you know who Cam Norrie's hitting partner in Australia is going to be? Because I, I, I'll, I'll, do I'll, you know? No, I don't. And because so for people who don't know, the arrangement in Australia is that in the first week of quarantine, you're allowed out your room to practice. Essentially, that's the only thing, uh, and you can practice with one other person, and it has to be the same person for the whole of the first week. So we're starting to get some of these nominated pairings. Andy Murray, for example. It's going to go out and hit with Dan Evans, which makes sense because they've been hitting together pretty much for the last three months. Um, I'd just be intrigued uh, because then in the second week, you can merge your bubble with one other pair. So you then all of a sudden have three hitting partners rather than just one. So I think it's just going to be quite interesting to see who teams up with who. My, my favourite one that we learnt this week was um, Heather Watson. That was quite a good one. Did you see that one? Okay, who's she playing? Who's she hitting with? So week one with Joe Conter. Yeah, yeah. And then week two with Petra Kvitova and Amanda Anisimova. Wow. I'd watch quite that a fun match. little bubble. Yeah, yeah. definitely watch that doubles match. Be some, high quality, uh, some high quality tennis. And actually, um, it brings me nicely on to where I wanted to go next, which is back to the Middle East, where there is some actual real high quality tennis going on this week um, in Abu Dhabi. The Abu Dhabi Women's Open, um, inspirationally named, I'm sure. I guess it's pretty lastminute.com, <laughs> so they couldn't really get a a title sponsor, although happy to, anyway, I won't get into sports washing, although I should. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a pretty strong draw in Abu Dhabi. I think the, I was looking at the seeds and like the 17th seed is the 33rd in the world. It's basically half of the top women's players in the world are in Abu Dhabi this week. Um, there's been some really good results, some really good matches, some real shock results as well. Um, I guess we'll come on to kind of the women who are looking hot at the moment in terms of form, but you know, Sophia Kedden is someone who a lot of people will have been watching this week. She's number one seed um, in Abu Dhabi, of course. Uh, she was, though, not playing particularly well uh, and was a set down to um, Kirsten Flipkins. And then George, well, frankly, disaster struck, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, it's been getting a lot of uh, reaction this week. Um, one of these things that's my probably top three pet hates in tennis are these advertising blocks that sit at the back of the court which just look like a disaster waiting to happen and that was the well, case David this Nalbandian time. Well, David Nalbandian certainly hates them. Exactly. He's not alone. <laughs> Anyone who remembers David Nalbandian getting DQ'd from the final three for kicking one knows how much he is. But this wasn't the one. He kicked the one at the side. This is he the kicked one the one at the side. In front of the, the, the backline judges. Yeah, I have a little bit less beef with the ones at the side because I can find, kind of feel like you can see where they are a little bit. But the ones yeah. at the back, as was the case here, Kenin moonballed Flipkins and it bounced back. Kenin called it a lob in her <laughs> uh, post-match interview, which, by the way, is nonsense because was, how was are you Flip- lobbing was, someone who's already behind the baseline? I was going to say, Flipkins at the net because 
I've always been of the opinion the lob is very much defined by what you're lobbing it over. Yeah. If you're just lobbing it over the net, then it's not Absolutely. a lob. <laughs> yeah. It was a moon ball and a high moon ball. Um, and Flipkins moved back, goes up quite high to reach it. And as she comes down, lands, flicks the top of the board. Her foot comes over, rolls over the ankle. She's uh, revealed today she's done some ligament damage, uh, grade two sort of tear. Still hoping to be there for Australia, so that's good news. Um, oh, really? That's what she said, whether she makes it or not. But optimistic. Optimistic, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, I just hate these advertising blocks. It makes no difference to... Well, I'm sure they're paid very lucratively and does make a difference that way. Um, I'll try and find out and get a figure one day for us. But um, <laughs> good luck. It, it, it is just ludicrous having these things at the back of the court. And, okay, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's happened enough times. And once is more than enough as far as I'm concerned. There shouldn't be this crap at the back of the court um, for them to fall over. Yeah, I don't get why, why they have to be that shape either. Why can't you just put them literally on the back as a board? At the bottom, you can still see the advertising side. I don't get why you need these sort of little triangular shape things. So my theory for this, and I, I am intending on contacting people who know and talking about this when I've got a bit more time, but my theory is that people are paying for the back walls exclusively and nothing else can go right. on the wall right. and that the blocks okay. have to be bought separately. That's my That's my okay. working theory on it. Um, so, because obviously it would make sense to you and I that the block actually is just built into the bottom of the wall, yeah. and you have separate mini sponsors. But what I think is the big main sponsors are buying the walls, and nothing else can go on them because sponsors can be quite tricky with that sort of deal. That I mean, would I be think, my guess. I think also, it, it, if you think about where it is, it gets a lot of screen time because the stuff on the back wall yeah. if you've got the the angle kind of the three quarter angle if you like you know from from almost opposite the umpire's chair the low angle that you often get of them rallying um you know as a cutaway you don't see the back wall there really but you will see the blocks in front of the line judges quite quite prominently little test for you both Did, what was on this advertising board you know i was just look i was just going to go don't, and look it up don't look don't look because i i know the answer so don't is look it, Pe- is it piece, of, pieces of uh... Flipkins as Achilles, I assume. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it, it Kirsten, Kirsten Flipkins metatarsal? Um, oh, I can't remember it. I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little clue. It's I'll give you a little cursive, clue. It's in cursive writing. Oh, I can't. So, so, here, so here's a bit of a clue of what sort of field it is. Uh, <laughs> Flipkins described it as ironic that it was on there. Uh. I, I just I don't know band aid. It was a thing called Health Point, which ran the hospital she went to to go no, and get fixed up after. Right. That's so funny. Oh, that's crazy. Um, George, the sort of newsy angle here is that you were trying to drum up the uh, ban them, ban them story, but Kenan wasn't really going for it. Uh, yeah, it's always a bit of a disappointing on that, isn't it? Because you know. I... I've seen this story. I'm driving a little bit of media hype on it. There's a bit of interest. And you're hoping the opposition's going to join you and say, oh, ban them. They're absolutely ridiculous. And she comes out and goes, oh, I've not really got any problems. This has never happened before. It has, severe, And they're very bad. But I know. don't remember it. So the only thing I can remember happening is, oh, I don't know if it was David Ferrer, Trish slipping over some matting at the back of the court. That, that was David Goffin at the back of Goffin, the French. Yeah, um the the other f- the famous one for this was um well i say famous in inverted commas but uh tanasi kokinakis at monte carlo and this was a okay. month after he'd just beaten federer yeah um but he he came out and went after it just as flipkins has to be fair this time she's okay. she's gone on for it but it was one of those that she was obviously having a lot of physio in a long day and it's one of these situations, just to give you a little uh, insight into how the media works on this sort of tournament, you need to request these players before the match. And obviously, mm-hmm. as much as I like Kirsten Flipkins, normally a Kirsten Flipkins match isn't going to be of great interest to write about. Um, yeah. but, but <laughs> so I was trying to request it, obviously, when this happened. Um, but then that combined with the physio... Um, just it just she never came to press in the end, which is fine. And she's now since tweeted about it and stuff. And 
But she was gone after. She, she was winning um, against number one seed Spear Kenin. Yeah, she was about to win the set. She was serving for the second set, Kenin. Well, so she was never, kind of turning around, but it nevertheless, yeah. it, we maybe should have seen it as an indicator for what happened later because Kenin then. I think only just scraped past, and really did scrape past Yulia, put, put in Sabre. I think she saved match points in that, in the second set tiebreak. Put in Sabre, oh, she might not have served for it. Oh, no, she served for the second set, I think. Anyway, and she subsequently ran into Maria Sakari in the quarterfinals, Kenin. Um, and they shared six two sets, and then Sakari bageled her in. I think, I think Kenin might have won five points in the final set. Mm. I think I'm right in saying that. It was, it was a, a proper bagel. This wasn't. French Open final first set bagel. This was, you know, cream cheese, salmon, the whole lot. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we've said this about Kenny a little bit before. I mean, before that French Open run, like when I think of Kenny, I think of someone who's a really, really gritty competitor, particularly in the slams, someone who's not going to go away. And I think she's had a lot of success just by the fact that she's quite good at hanging in there, quite tough. Maria Sharapova's her idol. She kind of has that kind of fighting knack to her. Um, yeah. But in the week before the French Open, she was double bageled by Azarenka on clay, which, you know, if that's a hard court, is more understandable. But for a clay court, it's a bit odd. Um, and now to be bageled by Sakari. Now, Sakari's in good form this week. But it, but it does seem she has this tendency to almost fade away in the smaller, in inverted commas, events. But <laughs> it's good that she can turn the tap on for slams, I guess. But I, I wouldn't necessarily advise that approach for someone who's quite young in the game. You kind of want to be winning everything, I'd have thought. But she does seem to, as you say, kind of just switch off and well, have that sort of set. There's a lot to be said for peaking at the right time and, and you know, similarly peaking at the wrong time. Um, but, you know, form is form. And on the other side of the net, Maria Sakari, who, who has shown some real form. Um, she beat Garbina Muguruza in the third round, which is, you know, no nothing to be sniffed at. And, and then, as we say, beat Kenin. She's got Arena Sabalenka in the semis, which you may Coco already... Coco Goff pick. as well, second round. Coco, what about Coco Goff? She beat her, second round. Sakura. Did she? I think uh-huh. so. Yeah, so she did. I've completely missed that from her. I was too distracted yeah. by her beating Potipo. Yeah, it's been a strong, it's round. been a really good run. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty tough run to be coming through two Grand Slam champions and a player who's tipped to be a multiple one. Well, it's an impressive start. Um, did did she, did she, so, sorry, James, didn't she start this? Didn't she have a really good start of the year last year as well? Sakari, or have I yeah. sort of made that up? And then I remember I thought, I think she played Serena and I thought she'd take Serena and came up short, I think, in the Aussie. I think I think you could be right. Um, she got she got knocked out of the Aussie by Petra Kvitova. She beat Kvitova. I mean she beat Madison Keys in the Australian last year. Although you know that depends which Madison Keys okay. turned up. But yeah, she she had some good runs to some late rounds. What I would say just is that she didn't beat many top ranked players. Okay. Um, she beat you know Belinda Bencic in St Petersburg, and she did actually beat Serena in Cincinnati if you remember, right. which is, okay. you know, a pretty decent scout. But, um, you know, the, I don't know. I, I, I don't know much about her as a player. You know, I'd love to speak to um, our good friend in Greece uh, and she can maybe tell us a bit more. But George Maria Sagari? Yeah, I mean, I've interviewed her before and no, I wouldn't say I know her well, but I've had enough, spent enough time with her to kind of know a little bit about her. I mean, she's a very nice person. Um, she's good I think she's a good player. I mean, I, it's interesting what you're saying about her not being top players because what I was going to say about her before is I think she's someone who's kind of reached top 20 level without then having the wins against the big players in the later yeah. rounds to then make that next step up. Um, some, someone I was kind of thinking is a kind of similar comparison. Obviously, Sakari's not been quite so successful in terms of titles, but like Rublev that we were saying, I think yeah. that's quite a similar comparison that Sakari's doing a lot of the work against maybe these not so good players and th- this week's been different obviously there's a strong field she's beaten but I'm, I just mean in terms of it slams if you put Sakari against Osaka in the, in the quarterfinals you're picking Osaka every single time at the minute but I think Sakari's got good potential she works hard um, yeah I, I think she's definitely a kind of solid top 20 player and it's just going to be whether she can start turning these big matches in later rounds of slams and other big events um, to see if she pushes on even further. 
Yeah, I think it's a pretty good comparison as well with Rublev in terms of the what they bring to the court. They're both sort of, without having serious weapons per se, they both sort of bring a lot of intensity, physicality, sort of pressure players, trying to pr- pressure their opponents with a lot of sort of hard-hit, flat balls. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really good comparison, I think, that in terms of both how they play and rankings. I think it's notable it, as well, you know, Maria Sakari's, as you say, got herself up to... 20-odd in the world, and she's not really got a title to show for it. You know, she's... she's. I think her biggest title is the Morocco Open. Who did she beat there? Joe Conte, yeah, you're right. Yeah, very as, good. As I'm sure you knew. Good um, story about that. What was the good story about that from uh, a news I perspective? I remember it. Um, or why it sticks king, out in my mind. Did the king or where just... was I the next day where Conte was going to... Oh, I don't know. Were you at the Great British Bake Off behind the scenes? I'm no idea. <laughs> no, no, not that exciting. It's actually not that interesting a story, but she, it was a bad scheduling thing because she went to Madrid pretty much the next day, her and right. Sakari, and was very early on the schedule concert, and she lost first round in Madrid. Um, yeah. Because she got absolutely why, screwed by the schedule. I know why I didn't remember that, because I was also in Madrid. I mean, you, it's when you and I very nearly crossed over in Madrid, and I left ah. before we arrived. Um, but yeah, she so she she hasn't got these like big wins or these you know significant titles on her record, but you know so so which either tells you one of two things and and maybe this could be a year when we find a bit more out about Maria Sakari is she the player who this is her level or is she the player who just needs a little bit of a you know it's much easier to believe that you can do something when you've already done it because you're no longer having to believe you just know. Um, so, you know, does she need one of those breakthrough wins or, or is this just her level? I, I'll be really interested to find out because, you know, more women in the Grand Slam draw who might win a Grand Slam. That What else do we need in the world than more people you can pick on a Monday? Uh, and a, a final point on this. I mean, what a mixed doubles team Greece are going to have at the Olympics this year. Yeah, Maria Zakari and Petros Tsitsipas. <laughs> <laughs> I Very assume good. that to you are thinking of like literally can't think of anyone else. Um I yeah, I almost got distracted by Tanashi Kokanakis earlier when you mentioned him, George. Because I think there is a whole podcast episode in great Australian blow ups of careers. You know, Nick Kyrgios, Bernard Tomic, Tanasi Kokanakis. There's there's so there's a trend developing here. Um I Alex de Manure, is he the next one? Uh, no, he seems a bit more balanced. <laughs> I mean, apart from his relentless Instagram pursuit of a player who I will make known to you later. I I was I was on a player's Instagram earlier today and I was trying to work out where she was training at the moment. And every single one of her photos that I happened to go through the last couple of months, Alex Dimoneur had commented on. And this is the sort of investigative journalism that the eye of pain James for. I, I think I know who he's talking about, and it, it's not a strict. It's not a pursuit. I, no, um, I, 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 if, right. I, I know who it is yeah. then as well, and yeah. it's definitely not a pursuit. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's weird though, irrespective of its <laughs> motives. It, it, it's not normal. It's strange. I find social media strange the best of the time. <laughs> Let's move on before I actually live with something. Um, to, to a much less dangerous topic, which is Yastremska uh, being suspended for um, a drugs violation. You can't get in trouble here, can we? George, give us give us the straight angle. Uh, yeah, so she had an out-of-competition test um, and an anabolic steroid was found uh, in her urine. I cannot remember the name. Something like metalone, metalone, something like okay. that. It's, um, it's anabolic steroids. In yeah. Um, she obviously is making the defence that it's uh, contaminated. Oh, she's had some sort of contamination. I, I'm always. Well, where are these people getting their meat from? This is like, well, <laughs> like, like, can I get some? Can I get it in Lidl? She, 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 she's it. not specified its meat this time. The, right. the meat's the Colombian, uh, the Colombian defense, isn't it? Of uh, was it Robert it's Farah? Mexican. It's yeah. the Mexico, yeah. The, so it, 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 it's Mexican as well. Boxers and there was Wild oh, Boar, right. Tyson Fury, wasn't there? And, yeah, yeah. Oh, Tyson Fury's uncontaminated, uh, uncastrated Wild Boar. 
Yeah, yeah. which is um, also under investigation, but I can't say any more because I will get sued. The the other <laughs> yeah we do need to be a bit careful how, how many people we're naming here but anyway um she is claiming contamination it's not been specified as meat just yet um the the other humorous parts of the defence that I call them humorous not because I think she's guilty just because I find things amusing and I'm definitely not making a statement on whether this is true or not but the things I found interesting about the defence is one bit that she was saying oh well I tested uh negative two weeks earlier in competition so okay that's fine then um that makes no difference obviously uh the other mildly interesting side of the defense is that she is claiming that she would get no benefit from this particular anabolic steroid she's saying the only benefits that can be found in men now she has quoted her own scientists looking into it but I, I can't tell you if the science is right on that, but I just thought that was quite an interesting thing to be pointing out. Oh, I, I may as well have this steroid in my system. It only helps men. Um, I'm not sure the truth to that, but that, that, I thought that was quite an interesting part of the blanket statement. Um, I, I don't have any sort of great insight into this one. What I do know is that um, there won't the tennis community, the tennis player community won't be that surprised by it, and also they she won't have much sympathy. She's not the most well liked player around, and hasn't been since junior days either. Mm. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I couldn't comment on her popularity entirely, but I would say she's made a lot more headlines for stuff that's not to be about her tennis for the last year even though she's yeah. got top 30 there's been a lot of other things that haven't been quite so good so yeah i mean I, i'm not gonna say i was expecting it but there was i mean a lot yeah, of other she, stuff she developed a bit of a name around sort of juniors about sort of two or three years ago for it would come back you'd speak to coaches who were there and it would always be the astro makers have, have done this they've done this at this tournament and i think it was just sort of like i say not well, not a very well-liked entourage as a whole. Uh, yeah, we should say that the, she's been provisionally suspended from all tennis activity following a positive doping test. They'll presumably do a B sample if her um, protestations of innocence are anything to go by. We're presumably going to take a trip to Switzerland and the International Court of Arbitration for Sport at some point, uh, which is always good fun. Um, <laughs> they are very good. Um, and they're very busy as well. So, um, but yeah, she's provisionally suspended. I think she actually was one of the few withdrawals from Quar- no, from the main draw. Sorry, because that had impacts further down on the uh, who got into qualifying and who didn't get into qualifying. George, did you have a final thought on this? Oh no, he's frozen. Great, we've lost George Belshaw for the evening. That's just, that makes things a lot easier. It means we'll be able to cram everything into the last nine minutes. Oh no, he's back. He started moving again. Kim again. I, I didn't hear what you said, but I, I, I it wasn't was just, interesting. It wasn't interesting. That that, that makes a change. Um, <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, I was going to say. Oh, I was just going to say it was. It, it's quite a high catch for the um, the drugs testing lot. They're not normally very good at catching people. I'm not suggesting for any minute that it's rampant or anything, but um, this is certainly the well, you best. Are. <laughs> this is the probably the biggest catch in Sharapova, I would say, in terms of... A... Oh, yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's for a steroid. It's quite rare you actually get people for anabolic steroids these days. You know, yeah. Even Sharapova, who isn't a drug cheat, as International Court of Arbitration for Sport told us, um, you know, that was meldonium, which was the stuff that everyone was having, because we've all got terrible heart problems. Um, yeah. So that's amazing, is... isn't it? Yeah. Almost become like a hipster drug now, the anabolic. Retro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's making a comeback. Human growth hormone. HGH is on the way. What's, yeah, what's, what's Lance Armstrong's one? Oh, I can't remember now. Uh, um, um, yeah, blood spinning. Yeah, yeah, maybe blood like, spinning has become the, It was yeah. big in the 90s and now it's back. Uh, let's move on from drugs, shall we? Um, <laughs> George, just finally, uh, you mentioned. So, so said the Astromakers. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about Jon Tyriak? Uh Yes, we could talk about Jon Tyriak. Uh, there were a few little things I wanted to gloss over. 
quickly, they, weren't you, they? You, I, yeah, you, you wrote down a little list of things that all seemed very meaty, and I, I was going to give you the choice of which one you'd like to go on. Oh, oh it's it's a you, tough choice. I, I I mean, I really like the Sam Query one as well. I so thought Sam that was Query, really amusing. He, he tested positive for COVID in St. Petersburg during the tournament there. Um, and he was there with his wife and his child, very small child, and he chartered a private jet and flew to London and recovered from COVID there. He didn't tell the tournament organisers and they weren't very happy about it. He's been fined and he's now kind of, he gave an interview. Is he not? But I thought he was fined. No, this was one of the things I wanted to go on about just as we were, I was hinting that some of the bodies aren't particularly effective. This was another example of lenient governance in tennis. Sam Query avoided a fine unless he breaks COVID rules again within the next six months. Suspended fine. A suspended fine for knowingly taking coronavirus out of Russia and into London, which it was the only country could get into because of our awful bloody measures of stopping people coming into the country at the minute. So... I mean, that... you can bring almost anything from Russia to England, especially if you're going to Salisbury. Um, <laughs> I mean, we've, we've demonstrated that <coughs> numerous times. But yeah, I mean, you, you're right. So he, his explanation, to give his side of the story, because I'm a little bit of an apologist for Sam Query, and I should say I am a massive, um, a real, like, COVID policeman. Like, I really don't like people breaking COVID guidelines. If you went home for Christmas, I think you're scum. Anyway, um, <laughs> Sam Query's excuse was... He was told that if they developed symptoms, they would be hospitalised, all three of them, and that he could not get, and that they they couldn't guarantee that he would not be separated from his wife and child. Uh, specifically, I think the child is very small. I think the child is under one. I think. Yeah. Um, and so he, in the middle of the night, chartered a private jet to London got a car basically off the tarmac to an Airbnb, so not even through a hotel, um, and and they isolated there for two weeks. Now, assuming he did all those things and they were wearing masks the whole time so they wouldn't infect the staff in the private jet. Now, assuming all of that is true and followed properly, uh, and while I don't think he was doing the right thing by the letter of the law, I can understand why he would take those measures. Yeah, I do think sort of I, I can see the point in it. And I think this is sort of an issue with overall some of these things like the today, the, the sort of Dennis Cudler situation that we, we've not discussed, have we? What happened there? And I think, you know, it, it's one of those things that there's no there's this sort of limbo area in what do you do there? And I kind of think that this is one of those like would anybody I understand entirely that the, the reasons why those rules are in place, but would nobody in their right mind is going to want to be hospitalised in St. Petersburg under the rules that they have there? And if I, I think it, and most people, if they had the, the money to do it, would have done it. Whether then, we don't know how, when, how well he stuck to the rules anyway, but I suspect he probably has. He's a pretty sensible guy, Sam Query. I, I think the bottom line is, if you're worried about following coronavirus protocol in Russia, don't go and play a tournament in Russia. I mean, I just, I have absolutely yeah. no sympathy with this situation. No sympathy. And it is not even the fact that there was a possibility they could be hospitalised. It was the idea that, oh, he can't stay in this hotel the whole time. He'll have to go into an apartment either way or whatever. And then he's told doctors that night, he told the ATP that night, oh, I'll see the doctors the next morning. And then just done a runner. I mean, I just don't buy it for a minute. I actually don't buy any of it for a minute, frankly. But uh, I'm not going to libel him. But um, I, I think you did. Anyway. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> That's an opinion. You can't libel me for an opinion. But um, <laughs> yeah, famously, no one ever gets opinion. That never <laughs> That's my defence right there, lawyers. Um, no, I, I don't know. I just think it's poor. I like to know you've got this virus. Not only, and it, like it's all very well saying, okay, they wore masks, they weren't going to affect, infect people, but it's on a bloody fly, isn't it? I mean, uh, imagine if all the places to get kind of stuck in concentrated air. I'm not, I'm not convinced the masks going to make that big a difference in that situation. Um, uh, no, I mean, 
Yeah. Like I, I, said, I don't know. I, I just think it's poor form. And as I say, I think there's got to be a point of responsibility where if you're worried about going to a place and what's going to happen in this situation, you don't go and play tennis there. You don't need to. He's not someone who needed to take his wife and child to St. Petersburg in the first place. Yeah, well, um, that, that's a different debate. Why, in the circumstance, why he's got his wife and kids in him when he's travelling the world on flights and that kind of thing. I think that's yeah, a different if, debate. If you're worried about that being... And they should all be thinking about this eventuality. I know we talk about the tennis bubble a lot, but... You know, I, I just don't see how we can seriously sit here justifying a guy who knows he's got coronavirus just fleeing countries, jumping on planes and coming to a different one. I mean, uh... well, I mean, I hear he had to get his eyes tested. So he flew the plane from St. Petersburg to Barnard Castle in the northeast of England <laughs> to, see, to see if his eyes were working properly. Um, I think if yeah, it I, before... I, I know, you, Sorry. like, I, I think the obvious point is, yes, it's wrong. I just think that there is some mitigation and uh, I, you know, I don't have kids and I'm probably never going to have kids. And like, I think it's difficult therefore for me to completely empathize and I probably maybe control for that too much, but I think it does just change your perspective, especially with, you know, he's from America. There's a lot of anti-Russia stuff in America. Probably thinks the Russian doctors are going to steal his child Ah, it's hard to criticise him too much for me. I, 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 my main criticism actually wasn't of him, but of the toothless governing body that wouldn't even actually properly find him. I mean, for goodness sake. Which is, not gonna be, which is not going to be the case if players pull the same stunts in Australia. No, no, it won't. I mean, they're, they're talking about proper police involvement and stuff there, but I mean, oh, like, that, what a way to send a message. What a way to send a message that was. Oh, yeah, we're going to be really tough in Australia, but, oh, here's someone who's blatantly flouted the rules and we're not even going to take a penny off him. I mean, it's just utterly, well, I, utterly ridiculous. I think, as discussed earlier, a few weeks earlier, George, it would be quite hard to enforce taking a penny off him because of the way that, that tennis works. Because because they're not unionised, because they're not employees, I think... They can still be fined for something. If you can find Nick Kyrgios for swearing at someone or pretending to make a, a lewd gesture with a water bottle... You can find Sam Query for taking an actual virus from one country to another. Um, I think we just before we finish, I think it's worth discussing. I, I don't know whether anyone knows the Dennis Cudler situation today, but I find it sort of quite interesting what has actually happened there um, and no, what a bizarre state of affairs. So what happened was that all the players had tests um, while they were at the Aussie Open qualifying. By the sounds of it, through what a few people, a few players have tweeted today, they didn't get their tests back as soon as what they were expecting to come back. So some of the players have had to go and play their matches while they before they've received the result of their test. But they were informed that they could receive the result of their test while they were playing. Wow. So it happened. Kudler was playing his match, and I think the I don't remember the exact score, but I think he was six three five three up, and was informed that he'd failed his test. Six three five three with his opponent serving, and was informed that he'd failed his test at that stage. The umpire said he'd allow them to finish the game, <clears throat> and Kudler then broke his opponent to win the match, and was <laughs> That's informed. Clutch. That is so much. Yeah, then then informed that he would have to withdraw from the tournament. Now, his opponent has kicked off saying that if he'd have held serve, Kudler would have to have withdrawn from the tournament and he'd have gone through. So now, the next round, which is an Aussie Open wildcard into qualifying, gets a bye through to the final round of qualifying. And I I don't really understand why what the ruling was on that Kudler could continue. Why did they finish the game? That's like It just makes no sense because he's either going to lose the game, in which case he gets knocked out, or he's won the game and he's gone through. I mean, the only reason I can think is for prize money. Like they said that Kudler has the chance to win his second round prize money. But in that circumstance, you'd think that something can be worked out. Either the player goes through, but he doesn't get his prize money, or he gets half the prize money. It's such a strange, and I think that the his opponent, who I think it was a French guy, I can't remember who it was, French tree. is, uh, is uh, fuming about it. Who, incidentally, is no longer French. Right, okay. He's representing um, Morocco now, which is quite interesting. Right. In the last couple oh, of weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think you're basically feeling that he wasn't getting enough um, attention from the FTF for whatever reason. I, I think there may be more to that story, but I only came across it in, 
yesterday on some forums. Um, but I don't know many Moroccan tennis players, although I assume the King is quite keen to get, you know, they pay to have some quite decent-sized tournaments. So yeah. um, I would think the King is quite keen to put some funding. But I know that is fascinating. Um, I mean, it's utterly baffling, isn't it? How, I mean, here's my question. How did they find out? Like, it's not like Kudler's allowed to have his phone on him. So did the umpire I, I, get past the little envelope I think, or something? I think from what I can make out, either somebody came on and informed Cuddler himself, or they informed the umpire and the umpire had to tell him that that is what had happened. But in which case, I just like I said, I don't know what why they finished the game. I, I can't see any sort of logic in it. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, unless should... unless Cuddler's asked for a injury timeout because I've got COVID <laughs> and he's told him you can you can only take it at the end of a game. Can like, I have a two and a half week injury timeout, yeah. please? Uh, it is pretty baffling. Um, I should say, to be fair, and look, I'm happy as anyone to criticise tennis authorities for the way it's been handled. I feel like the Australian Open, from what they've said so far, from the arrangements they've got in place... And, you know, uh, no uh, no plan to survive contact with the enemy. And God knows tennis players are the enemy at times. Um, at the moment, I'm pretty impressed with what they've done, what they've agreed with the Victorian government. Um, and I'm quite optimistic that we might have a relatively COVID-free Australian Open. Because, actually, I saw a tweet today from the Victorian government. There were no new cases of COVID in the state of Victoria today. The only new okay. case of COVID in Victoria is someone quarantining in a hotel who has arrived from overseas. Okay. And, you know, that's pretty spectacular, really. It shows what happens when you actually control who's coming in and out of your country during a pandemic. It, a bit. It'd be interesting to see how many arrive when the 1,000... What's the situation... <laughs> what's the situation with the fans there? Are they, they're having them... Have they got a limit on how many they... 50%? 20 yeah, to 50%, 30, right. Okay. I, I thought 30% was the most recent. I think it'll vary. Bottom. I, think, I think it'll depend on. I think it'll generally depend on how many cases come in. I think I think the number of COVID tests could, could depend on that. And maybe how many tickets they sell for this exhibition in, in Adelaide. And there's, so, there's, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I've just written the big explainer today about all the different elements of what's going on. But we'll definitely talk about it next week. Yeah, next week, um, for sure. On the Love Tennis podcast. So much more. We're going to finish off our predictions for the year next week as well. Talk about year-end number one, the, the Olympics, uh, and a few other things. Maybe pick out some breakout players for the season now that we've had a tournament to cheat. Um, but otherwise, uh, thank you very much for listening. If you're listening on the podcast, please do leave us a review and a rating. It always helps people find us. Um, if you're listening on the Locker Room app, please come back next week, Monday, 9pm. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.